Let me ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to read beginning with the seventh verse. This is the Apostle Paul, and he says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we would pray today that you would speak to our hearts as you have given me this opportunity to testify to my experience of your faithfulness and your care. Lord, I'm grateful for that. And we pray that your word would, would be alive to us not that we can enliven it, but because your spirit applies it to our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Give you a little background to uh, what I want to share with you today. Uh, I have for as long as I can remember, struggled with my weight. And because of that, uh, I've exercised six days a week for many years, uh, either the gym or jogging, uh, various other kinds of, of exercise. Uh, just prior to the uh, account I want to tell you of, uh, the previous year in our family, we have uh, four children. We had had five graduations. We had had two weddings. We, were, uh, we had planned two overseas trips, had taken one of them. We had three major car wrecks among our children uh, where their cars were totaled, uh, and that was within a period of just slightly more than a year. But you know what? With four children, that's just life. I mean, that's just normal life. March the 30th, 2005, had been a, a productive day for me. And I needed a productive day because a few days later, we were, uh, Connie and I were going to be heading to Greece uh, where we would be at a Mission to the World conference 
I'd be doing some teaching and we were also going to be meeting with some missionaries. Uh, it was a Wednesday and uh, we were going to leave the next Monday. Uh, I'd gotten a lot done on my sermon for that Sunday, so I was feeling pretty good. Things were getting in shape to cover the couple of weeks that I would be gone. Uh, so I felt good about uh, around 4.45 in the afternoon heading to a nearby park that I went to nearly every day, McCurry Park, uh, and especially that time of year, it was a, a bright, sunny day. It was warm outside, and I jogged the path that I had uh, jogged so many times before. I don't call myself a runner, but uh, I'm a jogger at best. And uh, I'd already gone a couple of miles, and I was uh, going up a, a slight grade, a little bit of a hill, and I, I felt a little tightness in my chest. And I thought, well, that's strange. And uh, so I continued on up the hill, but the tightness quickly became pain. Uh, so I stopped and I kneeled down and I retied my shoe. My first thought was that it was because of these kind of strange push-ups that I often do. And Sometimes when I overdo them, uh, I'll get some soreness in, in this area, and I thought, well, that's probably what it was. But uh, stopping for uh, that minute or so didn't help. I b began just walking, which was something I was just drastically opposed to doing uh, because I always looked down up until that time, looked down upon walkers. I thought they're just doing that because they can't jog like me. But I began walking, I was uh, probably a half mile from my car. And I went about halfway to the car and there was a track there and I sat down in the bleachers and uh, the tightness which had become pain had become more severe. And that's the first time it crossed my mind that I wonder if this is a heart attack. And I sat there, my first thought was, if it is, I wonder if I'll see Connie again. My uh, next thing that I did as I sat there, though, was to pray for wisdom. Because, like most men, I didn't want to make a big deal out of this if it wasn't, you know, something to make a big deal out of. And so I asked God to give me wisdom, and then I got up and very slowly uh, walked back to my car. I got in the car and I began to drive. I know, you're saying, I, I, you know, you idiot. <laughs> I began to drive and I, I drove about 50 yards toward the entrance of the park and I think that's when God answered my prayer for wisdom because I said literally out, out loud, I said, this is stupid. And I turned the car and went up to a main parking lot where there was no other cars around because I knew that within a few minutes there would be trucks and ambulances. Uh, from that parking lot, I called Connie, who was just getting off of work. And I said, 
I don't feel good. I had to quit jogging. She said, I'll be right there. And I said, no, you need to call someone. And so she called uh, 911. It was, of course, around rush hour then. It seemed like it took forever. I'm sure it didn't before I heard the ambulances. But I sat there in my car with the door open and uh, just waiting to hear. I was in severe pain. Uh, and I don't think it was just because I'm, I'm wimpy, which I, I know I am, but, uh, but I, I, it was severe pain. Finally, I heard the ambulance coming, and uh, it was for the first ones that got there was a fire truck. Uh, they quickly put a portable EKG on me. They asked me what was wrong. I told them, you know, that didn't take them long to figure out what was going on, but uh, they gave me aspirin and uh, uh, sprayed some uh, nitroglycerin in my mouth and uh, uh, put the EKG on. And the, the first indication uh, that I thought I might be in trouble was as I was sitting there in my seat, there was a fireman who was monitoring the EKG, and he said to a, another EMT, he said, look at this. <laughs> I thought, that's probably not a good sign. <laughs> well, Connie got there, and uh, uh, they worked on me a little bit. Uh, they put me in the ambulance, and uh, he was drying me off to uh, get better contacts for the EKG and so on. He said, you're really sweating. And, you know, my optimistic self said, oh, yeah, I always sweat when I jog. And he said, I'll be honest with you, sir, you're having a heart attack. And it was just surreal, even though I guess I knew that was happening. But to hear that out loud was unbelievable, thinking all of the exercise that I have done, all of the things that I've tried to do in the right way, and here I am having a heart attack. I was on my way to the local hospital there in uh, the county that we lived in. They got me there, uh, weren't able really to, to stop things from progressing and rather quickly made the decision that I needed to be sent up to Atlanta because they didn't do that kind of work at uh, this local hospital. Um, and so they sent for the helicopter and they life-flighted me to Piedmont Hospital for surgery. It was a 12-minute, $8,600 flight. They flew me right over the airport. Now, it had subsided a little bit, and I was, I was kind of enjoying the ride looking out, but I wondered how wide we were going to have to go around the airport. And, and just then he said, we've stopped all the air traffic. And at that moment, I figured that as many people who were praying for me at that moment, there were at least that many cursing me for stopping there. <laughs> their flights. We arrived uh, at Piedmont and they rushed me into the operating room. Uh, 
they put me on the table and a, a kindly uh, elderly guard who was helping out there um, who met us on the roof of Piedmont and, and kind of escorted me into the room. He evidently leaned against the wrong lever and uh, whatever the machine over me, x-ray or whatever it was, began coming down on me and I grabbed it. <laughs> I was laying on my back and uh, you can imagine the panic in that room as uh, uh, the helicopter guys ran over and helped hold it up and uh, the guard was panicking because he knew he had done it and they quickly pulled me off of the table and as they did, I said, man, that's enough to give you a heart attack. <laughs> and no one laughed. <laughs> there was uh, such a frenzy going on. Uh, they took me to the room next door, and those of you that know me know I couldn't leave it at that, not getting a laugh for that. And, and I said, uh, you know, it would have been a shame to get all the, live all the way and get up here and then... Uh, get crushed on the operating table, and a, f a few of them laugh, so I thought I'd leave it at that. So, well, uh, they began the procedure for the, the heart cath, and uh, they went in, uh, removed a, uh, some plaque and a blood clot, uh, and put a stent in. I actually fell asleep during that time. And uh, I woke up to the doctor saying, well, that's it, he's done. <laughs> I didn't think that sounded all that good either at, at that moment, but I, I realized that I had, uh, I had survived it. Um, they took me out uh, and there were a, a number of uh, uh, people who were with Connie. Um, after putting the stint in, I, I did have a difficult night, and it wasn't so much for me as it was for Connie, who was sitting there watching all the monitors, seeing all the irregularities. At one point, uh, there was a nurse beside my bed, and he said, did you feel that? And I hadn't felt anything, but I saw all the other nurses in the unit, uh, cardiac care unit, running for my door. And uh, things corrected themselves, but uh, he said, well, a pattern just showed up that could have been a, an arrest. So it was a long night, needless to say, for, for Connie. Um, after that night, there were no more irregularities. I got out the third day out of the hospital um, and then began the recovery. And by the way, the pulpit committee knew all this, <laughs> in case you're wondering. And in fact, uh, they, they did their own research on it, uh, wisely so, and uh, I had to get... Uh, a letter from my doctor to tell what, what my status really was in terms of my health, and I think that was a wise move by the pulpit committee. Uh, just in terms of uh, an update, uh, a couple of months after 
the heart attack. I walked our daughter Rachel down the aisle uh, for her wedding. And then uh, about a month after that, as I do uh, uh, always around my birthday, I try to take a long run and not just take a run, I uh, prepare for it and make sure that I am prepared for it. And, and uh, I was able to run five miles again. That was about all I could do that time. But then uh, I really went back and completed the run on my anniversary date of the heart attack. And we are so grateful because of the, the care that I got, but especially because of God's mercy that uh, although they say there's, there's got to be damage in there somewhere, it's not affecting the heart at all in terms of its function. So we're grateful for that. We're, we are keeping an eye on it, obviously. Uh, Stephen Covey, who wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I heard him interviewed one time, and he said this. This was long before I had my heart attack. He said that everyone should live as if you have had a heart attack. And I thought it was great advice at the time. I think it's even more profound having had one. Uh, his point was this, that uh, after a heart attack, things change for people. Priorities change, the way they look at life, often their diet, their exercise. Um, it's a good check uh, in your life. And he says, you know, but it's better to live as if, uh, as if you've had one, not wait until you have one and then change those things. Uh, I'd like to share with you, and this is all, uh, this is, if you're visiting with us, not a very typical sermon of mine. It's more by way of testimony. Uh, several weeks ago, I just casually mentioned this in an illustration in a sermon when I had my heart attack. And I saw the looks on a number of people's faces like, you what? And uh, although I had mentioned it uh, when I candidated, I realized that I had never told the story. And because it was a, a, a real event in my life, I will use it from time to time uh, for illustration. And so I thought, well, this would be a good time for me to share some of the things that I've learned, and I will be doing that. I'm sure it's a lifetime of learning. It's, uh, it's not a one-time thing where you learn it all. Uh, and I'm going to give you seven broad areas, but even before I start with those areas, I will just tell you that it's, it's a humbling event that makes, makes one extremely thankful. Uh, most any kind of uh, medical procedure can be a humbling event. Those of you that have been through those know exactly what I mean. Uh, but certainly in terms of uh, you know, for instance, exercise. You know, I don't look down on walkers anymore. Uh, when I couldn't jog and I could only walk, uh, I began to really enjoy it. And I, I, I realized that, that that too was great exercise. But uh, just the whole sense that all of these things that I have done that I thought would prevent this very thing from happening, I couldn't prevent that very thing 
from happening. It's humbling, but that's a good humbling of realizing that uh, those things are completely in God's hands. By the way, the next day in CCU, uh, I asked the doctor, I said, so is all this exercise that I've been doing useless? Because I know that some of you are saying, see, I told you I shouldn't be exercising, you know? It kind of goes one of two ways. Uh, either people say, wow, I really better exercise. Or they say, well, you know, that shows me I should never exercise. Well, they, he, he said, no, absolutely not. He said, he said, first of all, your recovery will be quicker because you have a strong heart. But secondly, we have marathoners come in here with blockages like you had. Uh, and that's when it's just heredity as opposed to the exercise factor. But let me share with you uh, some of the other things that he's taught me uh, in terms of the fear of death. Easter Sunday <coughs> was that Sunday before my heart attack. And I preached on that Sunday. Uh, I'm sure you won't be surprised by this, but uh, on the power of the resurrection. But in preaching on that, these are some of the things I said. I used the scripture, where, O death, is thy victory? And some of my points were is that, that death is gaining victory when we are afraid to die. In other words, if you're afraid to die, then death is having its victory right here on earth. And I said to our congregation on that Sunday, I said, you know what? I'm not looking forward to the moment of death, but I'm not afraid to die. And I even kind of joked about it. I, I told them where my fu little funeral folder is in my desk, you know, and, and uh, uh, you know, they laughed at that time, but many of them reminded me of, of that uh, in weeks to come. But I didn't realize that after making that statement to the congregation that three days later, I would find out whether or not I really was afraid to die. As I sat in that car, you remember I had walked halfway back, I had sat down and and again, my thought was, well, I see Connie. Then I got to the car, and I'm, uh, I, I was waiting. Uh, and after Connie got there, then I thought, this could, this could really put the kids through a lot right here near Rachel's wedding. And then at one point, because of the pain, uh, I suppose it was because of the pain, I was very close to passing out. But I didn't know whether I was passing out or whether I was passing out of this world because I, I said I'm, you know, I, I, I could feel that I was uh, about to lose consciousness. But I had not one second of fear. I really thought these could be my last breaths. And so I was able to go back in front of the congregation, literally four Sundays later, three weeks, but four Sundays later, and stand before them again and say, you remember when I was up here on Easter Sunday and I said, I'm not afraid to die. God gave me the wonderful gift 
Uh, what a gift for any pastor to get to that moment where I really thought this could be it. But because of the power of the resurrection, really know that we don't have to fear death. Now again, nobody looks forward to that moment. But the reality of the power of the resurrection is there. I learned uh, as well that God's timing is always the best. Let me tell you a few of the things where God showed his mercy on us in his timing. We were, I told you we were about to leave for Greece. Now, um, there were people that immediately, very soon after that, were saying, oh, that's too bad, you're not getting to go to Greece. Uh, you know, you were planning for that trip and so on. But even the very next morning, Connie and I had no thoughts of what a disappointment it was we were going to miss out on this trip to Greece. Our immediate thoughts were how merciful God was. I could have had the heart attack in Athens or on an island outside of Athens. And uh, one of the physician missionaries that I talked to said, you would not have wanted to have had it over there uh, because they did have some association because of some missionaries that got sick. But something that I thanked God even more for is I could have had it halfway across the ocean in the air and they really could have done nothing until we landed virtually anything. And so we were so thankful for that. that. That to me was the worst case scenario. Another thing though is I had worked like crazy to clear those next two weeks after that next Sunday uh, because I was going to be gone. And so I had no meetings. I had everything caught up. I had things underway. The Sundays were covered. And so when I got out of the hospital, uh, I was able really to relax and not to worry about what I was missing or what had to be covered, at least for a couple of weeks. And I actually got back to, uh, into the office before I would have had I gone on that trip, um, much to the chagrin of some pastor friends of mine, you know, who were saying, you better milk this for all it's worth, you know, you're not going to get another chance like this, but... Uh, I was able to get back, and I did have some, some things uh, upcoming. Uh, another thing I learned was the importance of pain. Philip Yancey wrote, Where is God when it hurts? Now, he worked a great deal with Dr. Paul Brand, who spent a lifetime studying Hansen's disease, which is, we call it leprosy. But Hansen's disease, the the thing that makes it so awful is that on your extremities, you, you can't feel them. You get to the point where they, they are numb and you can't feel them. So you can injure them and, or literally wear them off or cut them off and, and uh, not feel them at all. And that's you know, where his proposition that pain is a good thing because it protects us. Uh, in fact, Dr. Bland uh, in answer to the question, was pain 
one of God's great blunders. Dr. Bland says this without hesitation. He says, thank God for inventing pain. I don't think he could have done a better job. It's beautiful. Now, I know that there's pain that people feel that seem to not have any purpose. And, and some of you, I'm sure, have that kind of pain where you, you don't see the immediate purpose for it. But I know for me, I have to agree with Dr. Bland. The heart attack itself, um, I met people when I was doing the exercise rehab that had heart attacks and they didn't feel a thing. They didn't even know they had them until they went to the doctor. But God knew I needed that pain. Uh, otherwise, I guarantee that if I just felt a little bad or nauseous or something like that, I would have gone home and I would have sat down in my chair and I would have either died or at the very least probably had a great deal of damage to my heart. But because of the pain, I couldn't ignore it. Even though I tried to, tried to drive out of there, and, uh, uh, but the pain was too severe. And so at least it gave me, for me, I could see that pain really was a gift that God had given to me. We saw also how beautiful is the body of Christ. Uh, within an hour of my being taken to the hospital, uh, we have like we, uh, over in Atlanta, our church there have, like we're, we're trying to get going here, an email prayer uh, chain where you get immediate emails. And my secretary sent out three emails in the first hour. You know, Pastor Weldon's been taken to the hospital. Uh, They're life flighting him to Piedmont and then so on. And so dozens of people were praying for us. In fact, because it was a Wednesday, the network went out so quickly and prayer meetings all over the place were praying for me. Uh, there were people in Chile, missionaries that we had had contact with, uh, people ultimately over in Greece because there were so many missionaries we were going to be with were praying for us. Um, when we were, uh, when I was flown up to Piedmont, uh, there was a room full of people surrounding Connie, including four other pastors that were there uh, with Connie and my children that could be there. Uh, after the surgery, I was taken out into the hallway and all of those people there, uh, I think Connie said, can they see him or whatever? And she said, yeah, just don't get him too excited. So they all kind of filed by me and didn't really say anything. And I, I felt like I was at my own viewing, to be honest with you. <laughs> one, one of the guys even leaned over and gave me a kiss on the forehead. And I had never had that before. But it was amazing to me to see how, how the body of Christ rallied around all of us and particularly Connie and, and my family. I, had re I received into the hundreds of cards, and each of those 
represented a, a number of people. In fact, my secretary, when I got back and I was talking to her about, about that and how many cards I'd received, she said, you know what that means, uh, Dale? And I said, what? And she, says, she said, uh, that means you'd have had a big funeral. So <laughs> we were overwhelmed with the love and the concern, the prayer that, uh, that we had. And it helped me to understand being on the other side of that. When I have people tell me, I can really tell I'm being prayed for. I know exactly what they're saying because we really could. I got a card from, uh, well, I got a number from children in the church, but there's one I will never uh, uh, forget and never get rid of. It was uh, a little three-year-old, his name's Charlie, and he was drawing something and his mom went over and she saw it was like a head, you know, on top of two legs, you know. And uh, that was how he drew people. And she said, uh, Charlie, who are you drawing? And she said, that's, that's Pastor Dale. I love him. Well, that, that to me uh, will always be a treasure. And uh, the children that learned about prayer and prayed for me. I learned more also about the reality of the thorn in the flesh. Uh, that year, uh, our elders had chosen 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 for our verse of the year. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Uh, that, that's in the context of Paul's thorn in the flesh. And I remember, because I always would preach on the verse of the year early in the year, you know, the beginning of January, and I remember preaching about it and thinking, I wonder what my thorn in the flesh is. And, and the best I could come up with were just some areas where I'm not particularly gifted in. And I thought, well, I guess that's my thorn in the flesh. And then a few months later... Uh, at the age of 49, I had a heart attack. Now that's a thorn in the flesh. I mean, who wants to have that as a part of their history? A th uh, that's, it's a thorn in the flesh. Three weeks after... Uh, the heart attack, I had the privilege of preaching at the opening worship of the Children's Ministry Conference, which, by the way, providentially, was the first time I got to work with Mark and Sharon. And, uh, you know, that was probably the farthest thing from my mind, although I, I thoroughly enjoyed them. But to think that I would have that joy every single week at some point. In fact, at that point in my life, Connie will tell you, uh, I, I was thinking, who would, uh, who would want somebody, who would ever want somebody who is at 49 had a heart attack? And so God's grace. But Connie overheard someone walking into the ballroom where the worship service was going to be held where I was going to be preaching, and, and they said, the guy who's preaching tonight had a heart attack recently. This is uh, his first time speaking. 
and uh, I, I, was, I was told by the one who put it together and invited me, said, you might want to be careful with long pauses tonight because I, ev- everybody knows that you, you, had a, you had a heart attack. So I, I'm, if I had felt better, I might have had some fun with that. But uh, as we were worshiping and Mark and Sharon were leading in worship, um, Connie could tell there was something on my mind and uh, we talked about it later. She could tell that I wasn't breathing as strong as normally I, I would or had in the past. And literally, before I got up to speak, I didn't know whether physically I could make it through the next 40 or 45 minutes. It was the first time in my whole ministry where I really wondered. It, to me, it was an unknown Now, I was cleared to do that, but I just didn't know whether physically I could. But I prayed about it, and what a great lesson that was, because that's really how I should get up every single time I preach, utterly dependent upon Christ to take me through the next 30 or 40 minutes. It was a great lesson for me. And so I, I asked that question, who wants, who wants that thorn in the flesh? Who wants to be known as somebody who had a heart attack at 49? Well, I will tell you that if it's a matter of me knowing more about the sufficiency of Christ and his grace, then I want that. I wouldn't trade it for anything because of that lesson of knowing how much I need the power of Christ in my life. I've also learned in a new way that our life is in his hands. In James chapter four, verse 13, it says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. In other words, those of you that make plans, Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I never got that. I I taught on it, but you are a mist. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Jim Elliott, who was a missionary to the Alka Indians, was killed by them, wrote this in his journal. He said, I read Job 12.10 again. In his hand is the life of every living thing. I recognize that all I am and have is the Almighty's. He could in one instant change the whole course of my life with accident, tragedy, or any event unforeseen. Job is a lesson in acceptance, not of blind resignation, but of believing acceptance that what God does is well done. And so, and this is the part I've I've taken as my prayer. Father, with happy committal, I give you my life again this morning, not for anything special, simply to let you know that I regard it as yours. 
Do with it as it pleases you. Only give me great grace to do for the glory of Christ Jesus whatever comes to me in sickness and in health. No one will ever again be able to convince me that my life is anything but a mist. It's the truth. I've gained a thankfulness from this. Thankfulness as I, I know I would have been thankful as I walked Rachel down the aisle. Every father is. But there was something special for us that day. I'm, I'm thankful every time. Every time we, I'd go back to, it's, it's called McCurry Park, but ever since then we've called it the Heart Attack Park. <laughs> Connie would say, where are you going to, to uh, jog or walk? I'd say the Heart Attack Park, you know, and the kids call it that and everything. So, but every time I would leave there, I would thank God for the ability to exercise. Every time I leave Gold's Gym, I thank God for being able to, to exercise again. Things that I, I really wondered, there was a period of time where I wondered, will I ever do this again? Will I ever do that again? It's made me a more thankful person. And then it's shown me also the urgency of the task. Richard Baxter, the English pastor, said, I preached as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. And I've committed myself to that. The matters of the gospel are the life and death. We can't play around with life and death issues. I'm sure I had done that earlier in my ministry. I'm sure too often. We can't play around with life and death issues. And that's what the gospel really is. There is an urgency. I now have more of a sense of what's always been a reality, and that is that life is a mist. And I may not even be here next week. Or you may not be here next week. I got a card. One of the cards that I got was from Brian Chapel, who's the president of Covenant Seminary. And, and he... Uh, was in seminary when I was. Uh, I never knew how brilliant he was until he became the president and I took him for a class. Uh, uh, but he sent me a card and because of a, a congenital defect, he also has a stent. And he's one of those guys you look at and he's, he's been a runner all his life and he's in you know, great shape and looks like Dick Clark and all, all of that. But he sent me a, a card and the card said, Dale, I know it's hard to imagine at this point, but your life will return to normal, but things will be sweeter. And I've passed that on to others as well because it, it, it is so true. Uh, you know, I'd have been fine if God had taken me that day. I'd have been just fine. In fact, better off. But going through that has made the blessings of this life even sweeter. I wouldn't wish a heart attack on any of you. I don't want to have another one. And I'm still doing 
whatever I can to prevent having another one. I really don't want to have one, but I do deeply want you to learn these things. That you don't have to fear death. The power of the resurrection and the comfort of the resurrection is a reality. You can trust God that God's timing is best. It may not seem like it, but he will always do things in his timing and that's always the best. And understand that even, even pain has a pur purpose in the importance of pain. And know how beautiful the body of Christ really is. We often thought how, hard, how much harder that would have been to go through that all by ourselves but to have people who loved us surrounding us enabled us to go through it in a better way. But I also want you to experience the reality of the thorn in the flesh, which will lead you to the experience, the power of God's grace in your life. And know that your life is in his hands and realize the urgency of the task before us. I am convinced God gave me the gift of that heart attack. A gift to me, a gift to my family, but also I trust for you all. Because if, if, if you learn these lessons, it will change your life by God's grace. Let's pray together. Lord, will you just impress into our hearts those things that you have taught us. I know there are so many out there that could testify much more powerfully than I have because of things that they have gone through. May we, Lord, encourage one another as we go through these times, may we learn from you. Thank you for being a loving Father who doesn't just always pave the way smoothly for us, but makes it so that we can really learn of you. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.